I had an interesting conversation with somebody uh, recently who uh, used to suffer from a serious addiction. And we got talking about uh, how she navigated her way through that. And there was, there's a couple of extremes which I, th- I think might be helpful for us to, to meditate a little on tonight. So she said that she got to a point where she didn't like calling herself an addict, you know, even though she did have addiction problems. The calling herself an addict, calling herself an addict over and over again, and then meeting up with people who kind of consider themselves uh, addicts as well, it kind of made her identify as an addict. It kind of, this became her identity. This is who I am. I'm an addict. And the danger with that is you can get kind of stuck there. I'm an addict, so th- there you are. Like, um, that's, that's, that's who I am. It's part of, part of who I am. Almost like a justification for my behavior. So even though you're trying to get out of this, you can actually identify as it, and then because of that, stay stuck there. Uh, the other hand, then, there's another extreme where you just deny your addiction altogether. So... If you have no addiction and there's nothing to work on, then what's your problem? Like, well, you, then the problem is obviously ye, right? The problem is, ye is obviously ye think I have a drinking problem. I don't. I'm absolutely fine, <laughs> you know? And the problem then is yours. The problem isn't mine. So there, and it's interesting that both of these extremes are actually uh, pro- more than likely have the same root, which is good old-fashioned pride, right? So I don't have a problem. Ye have a problem. Right? That's, that's pride. Right, where like if, if the problem is everybody else's except mine. So whatever addiction it is that you see the, the person suffering from, and they're just in absolute denial, right? Uh, that's that's pride. That's why I don't have a problem. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything everything under control. I'm drinking as much as I want. Right? Watch as much TV as I want. Right? Eat as much as I. So everything's under control. I'm doing what I want. What's your problem? And it may well be that the person is in the throes of addiction, and isn't willing to admit it. Then on the other hand, I say the other extreme then it's to, not, it's to identify yourself so much with that addiction that it's, it's part and parcel of who you are. So much so, this is it, like, this is just it, this is just me. You have to accept it, I'm, this is just me. And we meditated there during the week, this quotation from uh, Aristotle. It's interesting that Aristotle was a Greek philosopher. This quotation is often quoted in Latin, but in medio stat virtus. In the, so virtue stands in the middle. Virtue stands in the middle of two extremes. You know, so... Any virtue at all, like courage, stands in the middle of two extremes. So to be to be too passive altogether, or to be outright violent, right? Courage stands in the middle, and the virtue of courage stands in the middle. So virtue stands in the middle of two extremes. So this is something that we always have to be aware of in our in any walk of life, and also in following the Lord, because the, the the enemy is very very good at pushing us into one extreme or the other. Even good and holy things, right? Prayer, prayer. You can't possibly exaggerate in prayer, can you? Yes, you can. And anybody in religious life knows that because uh, right from the beginning of, of religious life or monastic life, they always had ora et labora, prayer and work. Prayer is great, but get off your knees if needs be and go peel the potatoes as well because your sister or your brother needs to eat. So do you. So go do something. And then go back to prayer, by all means. Ora et labora. But every time someone needs to peel the potatoes or harvest them or whatever it is, shovel the coal, oh, I feel the need to pray the glorious mysteries. I'll be, I'll be. You know, no, that's not, that's not an authentic spirituality. 
That's disguising your laziness. So yes, you can exaggerate even in prayer. So uh, in, medio sta, in medio sat virtus, in virtue stands between two extremes. Why are we, am, I, am I saying that tonight? Lord, I am not worthy to have you under my roof. We heard in our gospel tonight. Lord, I am not worthy to have you. Now, the centurion says these words in what actually seemed to be a, a, a very profound prayer of humility, that he sees how he sees the Lord, he, he knows what the Lord has done, he has heard maybe of other miracles that he has worked. And the centurion, now keep in mind, he's, he's a Roman, he's part of an occupying force, like he's not a Jew. So he would have been, he would have been despised by the local Jews. So to say to a Jew, as a Roman, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is a profound humility in that from the centurion's perspective. But I think we can maybe take something else from it for ourselves tonight. Have you ever thought or have you ever said in your prayer, Lord, I'm not worthy? And again, there's, there's a virtue in this, but now let's be careful of the extremes. I'm not worthy of you because of my sin or because of how far I've fallen, right? So because of all these things that, that I've done, you can't help me, right? I'm, I'm not worried of you. You can't fix me. Or I've, you know, I've had a, had a terrible addiction. I've fallen in terrible ways. I've committed terrible sins. So you're great and all, but I'm not actually worthy of you. So not now. And what's the good old-fashioned root of that? Pride, just like most other sins. Pride. I'm too bad for you. I'm worse than your almighty power can forgive. Your mercy isn't sufficient for me. So, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Again, it, it may look like humility, but, uh, and in this case, in, in this centurion's case, it more than likely was. But for us, if I've ever said that, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. That's pride. That's pride. If it's because I think he's not big enough, merciful enough, powerful enough to forgive my sin. If I won't let go of my sin, and I'm holding on to that, and I actually don't want him to take it. We've meditated this a couple of times, uh, where it can be, and it is unfortunately often the case, that people get familiar, they get used to their darkness, they get used to their sadness, they get used to, to maybe this self-imposed prison that they have built and they'd rather stay in the darkness that they're familiar with than risk being freed from that darkness, having to come out into the light, light and now have to live out in the light. Now have to maybe kind of maintain that standard, maintain that, stay there in this place of joy, stay in this place of freedom. It's actually easier. I'll go back to my cell, actually. Not in a religious sense, but I'll go back to my prison cell, you know. I'll lock myself in there. And then that, this is familiar, so this is okay. This is kind of safe, because... Nothing much is expected of me because I'm the sad one, I'm the depressed one, I'm the, and I don't actually want to let myself out. And so I impose this prison upon myself. That's pride. It's actually pride. It doesn't look like it, but what is the root of it? Why, 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 why not let the Lord in? It's self-reliance. I'll guide myself, I'll get myself through this, Lord. I'll take care of myself. Not you. 
I'm not going to follow your indication. I'm not even going to follow your invitation out of this self-imposed prison. I'm not worthy of you. It may look like humility, but there is an extreme there as well that we absolutely have to avoid. This is a season of light coming into the darkness. The season of Advent, right? It's preparation for Christmas. The darkest time of the year for us in the Northern Hemisphere, anyway. Uh, light coming into the darkness. The season of... It's cold, it's dark in Ireland, it's wet. Uh, and we're inviting the Lord in. But this shouldn't just be an external thing with tinsel and lights and trees. But to invite the Lord into those dark recesses of our hearts, those places where we absolutely think, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you there. I'm, I'm really not. And the Lord might actually answer, you're right. <laughs> you're not worthy. But I love you anyway. And I ask for your permission to go into those places those places of addiction, those places of sadness, those places that need healing, those places that need me. But I will not heal you without you. I won't redeem you without you. I, Almighty God, yes, wait for your permission. I wait until you're ready. So if we have, if this thought, if this belief is, is, is rooted in our hearts somewhere that, that we're not worthy of him, let us consider maybe that that's not the humility it appears to be. Let us not impede the Lord from doing what he wants in us. Let us not impede the Lord. Let us not get in the way of, of this light that he wishes to immerse us in, that he wishes would emanate from us because of the healing that he has given us. The Lord knows what he's doing. Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, we will say later on in Mass. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you enter under my roof, but say only the word, and my soul shall be healed. That's, that's the key. I'm not worthy, that is true. But we still believe in the Lord's almighty power to free us, heal us, fill us with hope, light, joy, whatever virtue we're missing. We still believe in his power despite our unworthiness. So Lord, we ask you today to renew in our hearts a confidence, an absolute confidence. I was talking to someone, sorry to dive back into something else, but I was talking to someone during the week who said something really interesting. He said, um, uh, sometimes people get annoyed at us if we pray thinking that God can actually do something. That's actually really well put. You know, people get annoyed at us because we pray, we, we pray with confidence as if God can actually do something. <laughs> of course he can actually do something or what are we praying for? What on earth are we praying for if God can't actually do anything about it? Then what is that like? We might as well hug a tree. You know, like... <laughs> if we pray not believing that God can do something about it, what on earth are we doing? Wasting our time is what we are. So better finish that positively. We believe that God can do something. Hence, prayer is useful. Saints have been doing it for centuries, millennia. We believe that prayer makes a difference. So we can count with confidence on the Lord doing great things in us today. May he renew that confidence 
and may he in us and pour his light into our hearts in this season of expectation. Amen.